The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Friends near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. While we have breath, we shall remember and affirm the great goodness in the great good hymn of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see, in those who up to thee we give, thine holy thine to die and live. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God. May we pray, O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. 
Please be seated. A lesson from the Epistle of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. The word of the Lord. Thank you.
Let us read responsively Psalm 23 with the antiphon. is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one took it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I am told that, by the way, isn't that a lovely phrase? I am told rhetorically it covers a multitude of sins. I am told that when this pulpit was new 50 years ago, Howard Thurman, our first dean of the chapel, would begin his sermon sometimes in this way. He would set out a theme and then advise the congregation that should he stray from the theme or should they stray from his straying, finally, along the way, one way or another, he would recall them. In a vast quiet, he would begin, with his hands over and behind his head, clutching at ears behind ears, he would begin. Then over many minutes, in a vast expense of energy, pouring over slices and bits of note paper, he would advance the good news. Let me borrow his way of beginning. Here is our theme. Our inheritance may quicken into inspiration. The Bible tells us so. Our experience shows us so. Should I stray in these precious pre-Eucharist minutes from our theme, or should the morning quiet and comfort cause you to stray from my straying, let me announce the gospel theme today. In Christ, inheritance becomes inspiration. Inheritance crackles with inspiration. Inheritance, like kingfishers catching fire and dragonflies drawing flame, kindles and quickens into inspiration. Inheritance, inspiration. I wonder whether you are ready today to move from the one to the other. I wonder whether these moments set apart may become for you the peculiar security of faith. First, the reading from Scripture. None of the readings from John bears easy interpretation. John 10 is not an exception. In fact, this passage is as murky a reading as we have in the New Testament. It is opaque. Part of the reason for the mist and fog is found in our theme, from which we have not yet strayed, inheritance and inspiration. The preacher in John 10, or perhaps the preachers in John 10, are moving from inheritance to inspiration. I doubt there is a more familiar biblical image than that of a shepherd. In New England, you can hardly drive more than 10 miles without passing a church with a painted or stained glass image of a shepherd. If this were a lecture and not a sermon, if this were a regular Sunday and not a communion day, we might pause to read them out, maybe together. Well, we heard the most famous earlier in the 23rd Psalm. What may not be as clear to you is that around the year 100 AD or later, those whose tongues unleashed the gospel were equally familiar with the figure of the shepherd. The Psalms alone have a dozen striking presentations of the divine shepherd. Moreover, in the books of prophecy, the expectation of a messianic figure with decidedly shepherding features is clear as well. Look this afternoon at Psalms 46, 71, 79, 95, 100. Look at Micah 5, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 37. The Davidic Messiah is regularly dressed out, dressed up, and dressed down as a shepherd, feeding and gathering and protecting the flock. Likewise, those who later wrote 
John, uh, wrote earlier than John, namely Mark in the year 70, Matthew in 85, and Luke in 90, or later, also fully knew and employed the figure of the shepherd. You remember Luke 15, what one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one does not leave the ninety and nine, or Mark 6, they were like sheep without a shepherd, or Matthew 18, he rejoices over the one, not the ninety-nine, who did not stray. Both the Old Testament and the emerging Christian church provided an ample inheritance of the image of the shepherd. Our John 10 forebears had an inheritance. But in the heat of various kinds of communal hurt, 80 years after the crucifixion, these preachers returned to their inheritance, and in turning their tongues to the gospel, their inheritance caught on fire. Look at what has happened to the image of the shepherd in John 10. Whether this is a new rhetorical creation, I often think it is, or whether it is borrowed from the Greek even Gnostic world around, I sometimes think it is, or whether it is some combination, perhaps your judicious view, we have here a burning shepherd, a good shepherd. Our forebears trusted. Faith had them. I expect that they had faith, but that was not the source of their trust. Their trust came otherwise, from the other direction, toward them, if you will. Faith had them. Faith held them. Faith seized them. Faith inspired them. To say they had faith does not begin to get you to the inspiration that burned out of their inheritance. Faith set them on fire. They have met, may have been as common, common as sagebrush, better so. But faith caught them and kindled them and quickened them. And faith can hold you today. Faith can have you today. Faith can embrace you today. With tears and choking, the preachers inside John 10 saw inheritance break out in flames, break out into inspiration. They could see, 80 years after Calvary, what it took some perspective, some distance, some time to see. Real change is real hard. Real change takes time. And from the valley of their disappointment and dislocation, they saw another shepherd and they crafted another gospel song, like Louis Armstrong giving the star-spangled banner a new rhythm and a new tone. They preached differently about the shepherd. Kalos, they said, good, good, good. A good shepherd whose goodness was ultimate, reaching up to the divine. A good shepherd, present in absence, that is spirit. A good shepherd, bright brand new word, who knows the sheep and is known. Not I to it or I to them, but I to you. I to thou, whose communion is as deep as time and as wide as space. A good shepherd, fully divine in relationship. A good shepherd who extends care to other sheep, not of this fold. A good shepherd whose voice is like none other in all of scripture, so equanimous, so serene, so magnanimous. A good shepherd who is known in loving and giving, in giving that is loving, in loving that is giving, in gift love, in love gift. A good shepherd whose sovereign power over his own life, over his own, is supreme. A good shepherd giving his life for the sheep, not a shepherd giving his life for the good sheep. And then at the end of the reading, verse 18, did you catch the little difference? There's that diamond, that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in the field. The original, more difficult reading, the aorist for those heading toward their Greek finals next week, is 
No one took it. Not takes, but took. The NRSV has chosen the easier, poorer reading. But the tougher and truer is a punctiliar past. Took it. The faithful are looking back. Looking back 80 years and realizing with the perspective of hindsight just what has befallen them. Friends, there is a hymnic confidence, a shout of ecstasy, inspiration here. More than the Hebrew scripture is here, more than Moses is here. They have found someone, or better yet, they have been found by him. It is the fire of life, the fire that makes a shepherd a good shepherd. Relation is all. Relation in goodness, relation in absence, relation in knowing, relation in love gift, relation in power, relation in inspiration. Did I mention earlier that today we move from inheritance to inspiration? So the Bible, second our experience. In the history of the world, a former Harvard president once intoned, in the history of the world, no one ever washed a rented car. I hope his management of the economy is better than his rhetorical skill, but he does have a point. My friend in tragedy last week remembered his father saying, you will never appreciate your faith until you truly need it. It is one thing to rent the car. It is another thing to own it. It is, a one thing to the, it is one thing to audit the course. It is another to take it for a grade. It is one thing to pass through the mess of life uncommitted. Another to find a pew, to take up residence, to sing, pray, grow. What matters is what inspires, and what lasts is inheritance become inspiration. I wonder, come Easter Eucharist, whether your inheritance will kindle, will become inspiration. You don't have to be in John's company in Ephesus or wherever in the year 110 or whenever to understand this. Faith grabs you, grasps you, has you, holds you, and when you allow yourself for once to move out onto the dance floor of faith, there is something burning. A bush, a candle, a mountain, a heart. Now you can look back, say 80 years, and who do you see when it comes to knowing and being known, to relation, to loving and giving, to inspiration? Here is Martin Buber unfettered by time, space, or religious tradition. He taught a generation about the difference between the basic word pair, I it, and the basic word pair, I thou. And this is before computers, before the internet, before email, before websites, before texting, before Twitter, I Thou, can you imagine what he might write today? For inspiration, I pulled out the Kaufman translation. These are proverbs. Hear them so. You has no borders. I, you, establishes the world of relation. What is essential is lived in the present. Love is a cosmic force. In the beginning is the relation. Nothing remains to me in the end but an appeal to the testimony of your own mysteries. We must practice the kind of realization that I call embracing. Umfasung. Embracing. Beloved, sometimes we do not hear because we have plugged our ears. I look back across the last full week and with chagrin, I realize 
all around me, all week, was the one word, the word pair, I, you, I, thou. I heard the word pair in the voices of those who probably did not, not know Martin Buber from Adam's house cat, but they knew his truth and his voice. I, thou, said an old friend relating a mysterious night dream. I, thou, said six students finishing a course and finishing their breakfast with laughter and happiness. I, thou, said a Buddhist teacher who pointed out the mudra-like hands in our Christ window, one of courage, one of blessing. I, thou, said bride to groom, groom to bride, God to both, Jen and Sora, we honor you. I, thou, said the friend to a woman who lost her husband. I, thou, said friend to friend. I, thou, said the colleague in silence around a profound disagreement. I, thou, said the pastor, inviting the congregation to the table. I know my own, and my own know me. Here is one way to move from inheritance to inspiration. God has given life without any payment of moral deeds. The tragic condition of the human being is in the act of achievement itself, in which we are ever anxiously creating structures of reality. Health lies in giving that up. We cannot bring our treasures of achievement into heaven. The freedom to love is based on grace. When does inheritance spark up into inspiration? Who can say? We began so we may end with Thurman. I want to say something to you, Thurman would begin, in a vast quiet and with his hands behind his ears. I want to say something to you about inheritance and inspiration. Last year on this weekend, during our general conference in Texas, I found a book to buy, a collection of sermons over 50 years from Duke Chapel. We might sometime compose a Marsh collection of this sort. Thurman has an entry to which I thumbed quickly. In print, it is somewhat plain, but you cannot mistake the yearning, the longing, the feeling, the true and personal desire to move a heart, if just one, from inheritance to inspiration, his last line. There is another kind of hunger I have, a hunger of mind, a hunger of spirit. I wonder whether this Easter Eucharist here may allow you to admit that hunger. I wonder whether this Easter Eucharist, whether here now you might admit to that thirst I wonder whether you might allow the peculiar security of faith, so precious, so personal, so promising, to feed hunger, to slake thirst, to move you from inheritance to inspiration.
It is good, dear friends, during these days of studying and preparation for finals that everyone should pray for at least half an hour every day, unless you are busy. And then you should pray for at least one whole hour every day. It is good, is it not, dear friends, that we gather at least once a week for one whole hour here at Marsh Chapel, and we welcome you this day. We would note that many of our chapel activities for the year have come to an end. We would hope some of you who are studying might take a break with us this evening at 5 p.m. here at Marsh Chapel for a study break. And we would note that for the next two weeks, evening prayer with communion will continue. This coming Sunday is this, I believe, Sunday when five of our graduating seniors will offer reflections on their faith lives during their four years here at Boston University. And we look forward to hearing them next week. The following week, we'll be baccalaureate, which is part of the university-wide commencement activities. And we look forward to that in two weeks. We would hope that you would help to get us to know, help us to know you better and help to um, get e know each other better by filling out the red books at the end of your pews, the ritual of friendship, letting us know your name and how to be in touch with you throughout the week. We hope also that you will visit our Marsh Chapel website to find out more about what goes on here at Marsh Chapel on a daily and weekly basis. And the opportunity there is available for online giving as you are so moved. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
our good shepherd, we are but little children offering our humble resources so that we might indeed love not only in word and speech, but also in truth and action. Bless our abundance, bless our scarcity, and bless our lives, O oh God, so that we can be open to inheritance, open to inspiration, and open to your loving grace. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him or earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. May we extend to one another signs of his peace. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity made covenant to be our sovereign God, brought us to the land flowing with milk and honey, and sent before us the way of life. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ by the baptism of his suffering death and resurrection you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit by your great mercy we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your son from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading once we were no people but now we are your people declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On the day you raised him from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of bread and in the power of your Holy Spirit, your church has continued in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup. 
And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ is God, Christ is your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast.
we offer together our prayer of thanksgiving. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. 